Good morning. Thank you. Oh, praise God. Let's pray for a minute. Lord Jesus, I just turn this time over to you, Lord, that you might speak through me, that, Father, the, the words that you've prepared, uh, Lord, might touch hearts and change lives. And uh, we give you the praise and the glory for it by your Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in August, I'm going to be 71 years old, and as I look back over my life, I think about what I want to pass on to my family and my friends. What legacy do I want to leave them? And so, you know me, I always like music, so Sidewalk Prophets has a song that encapsulated how I was feeling, and it's called The Words I Would Say. They go like this. It's three in the morning and I'm still awake. So I picked up a pen and a page and I started writing just what I'd say if we were face to face. I'd tell you just what you mean to me. Tell you these simple things. Be strong in the Lord. Never give up hope. You're going to do great things. I already know. God's got his hand on you, so don't live life in fear. Forgive and forget, but don't forget why you're here. Take your time and pray. Thank God for each day. His love will find a way. These are the words I would say. And as I started looking for scripture to, for today's sermon, the Lord led me to the book of 2 Timothy. So if you have your Bibles, you can get your Bibles out, turn to the book of 2 Timothy. And <clears throat> this book is Paul's last will and testament to his young protege, Timothy, whom he left in Ephesus to build up the church that he had started in his missionary journeys. And these are the words he would say face to face to Timothy if he could. His final words include just a few commendations, but many admonitions, including 25 commands, nine of them in chapter 4 alone, which is what we're going to look at. And in chapter 4, Paul imparts his final words of wisdom and encouragement to Timothy, who is ministering in the midst of opposition and hardship in Ephesus. He stresses the importance of godly living, preaching the word both in and out of season, and preparing for the coming apostasy within the church. Underlying all of this, Paul says, is the importance of God's word. The only foundation that's strong enough to withstand persecution from without and problems from within. Timothy has had Paul's example to guide him and God's word to fortify him as he faces growing opposition and glowing opportunities in the last days. One commentator said that this book should be required reading for every minister and missionary to encourage them in their work, to endure in their work. So today I'd like to share from you from God's word from 2 Timothy and uh, chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now all I have to do is find it. There it is. Okay. And this is what it says. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, 
and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. May God bless the reading of his word. Can you picture where Paul was when he was writing this? He was in a prison in Rome. Not the first imprisonment where he was free to go around and do things, but the second one, he was chained between two guards day and night. He, he was facing death. He was facing his martyrdom, and he knew that this was coming. He knew that it was, uh, uh, he was ready to die. And he tells Timothy, I've finished the course I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. This was the motivation behind his last words. These are the words that he would say. These are the, and, and in chapter four, there's a summation of everything that he said in the whole book of 2 Timothy. So I want to leave you with that summation in those first five verses of chapter four. <clears throat> And so, first of all, he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. You know, Paul starts with the primacy of God's word, amen? God's word is primary. Preach the word. And it's the first of five commands in this verse alone. The process of preaching, what we're doing here today, is the method that God has chosen to reveal his salvation to a lost and dying world. We are called to proclaim the word, to make it understandable, to make it applicable through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, amen? amen? We can't do it on our own. It's only as the Holy Spirit works through us that we can preach the word. This is Paul's solemn charge to Timothy and to you. Paul wants you to preach the word. Well, amen. <laughs> amen. And how do you preach the word? You gotta know the word, amen? Amen. You've got to be familiar with the Lord. You've got to know it inside and outside. And throughout the book, Paul has pointed to the importance of knowing the word. Back in chapter 2, verse 15, it says this. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. 
I love it in the King James. It reminds us to show ourselves approved, a workman that rightly divides the word of truth. We need to be able to divide the word of truth. We need to be able to put it into our lives. And he says in chapter three, verse 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. You wanna be equipped for every good work? You've got to know the word of God. You've got to put it into your life. God's word is inspired, amen? It's God-breathed. And so we need to put that into us so that we can be adequate to the task that he has left to us, to preach the word. And in 2 Timothy 2.2, it says this, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. See, that's God's plan. That when, when we have the word in us, we can give it to someone else. We can teach it to them. And then what do they do? They're gonna teach it to somebody else. That's God's plan, to preach the word, to share that. That's to make disciples, to continue that process from generation to generation. St. Francis of Assisi said it this way, preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. (laughs) When necessary, use words. That means it's who you are. It's your life, it's your changed life because of the word of God that's in you that's gonna make the difference. It was important that that preaching the gospel by example is much more virtuous than actually just proclaiming it with your voice. How you live your life is the key to preaching the word of God. Our changed lives and attitudes and, and our church motto, what does it say? Love God, love people, and change the world. That's how we're going to change the world, by preaching the word. Well, how do you do that? What are some ways that you can preach the word? Well, I've got a great example. My wife, she preaches the word all the time. When she started on Facebook, and some of you are on Facebook, you probably have seen things that she has posted, but she said she wanted to make a difference in what she says each time she posts. So she spends literally hours at the computer searching for the word that's gonna be perfect for the post that she puts in and going through all kinds of Christian contemporary music so that she can find just the right song that will minister to somebody's needs, that will preach the word. And so with every post, she preaches the word. She also does it in another way. My granddaughter, Caitlin, just graduated from high school. And so uh, Mary Beth bought this book about muchness. And it's really a a great book, but it needed something to make it, um, okay, it's a good book, but it needed something to make it great. (laughs) Scripture. She stayed up all night long looking at 15 different pages of ideas in that book and found scripture for them and wrote them in there. 
so that Caitlin could have that to encourage her in her new uh, life. You know, she's graduated. She's going to move out and do, do great things. But she is preaching the word on every page of encouragement. And many of you, you've been the recipients of a card, right? You've gotten a card from Mary Beth. And in that, there's always scripture. There's always something there. She's preaching the word. Folks, we can preach the word if we use scripture, if we share it with people. That's the way that we preach the word. Another way that we can preach the word is by giving financially to groups, missionary groups. I don't know. We, we give to probably 60 different groups over the year. And one of them is the American Bible Society. And uh, this last month, we got a, a little flyer from them. And ABS's goal is to give copies of God's word to those who have never heard, like Huang in Vietnam. When Huang and his wife decided to have their second child together, his mother-in-law sent a letter urging them to reconsider. A spiritualist had told her that having this child would lead to great misfortune. And like many in their community in Vietnam, she used spiritualists and fortune tellers to guide her daily life. And when their newborn arrived, Huang's wife was unable to breastfeed, and Huang felt ill. They struggled to make enough money to buy milk for their baby. The stress of their family's poverty nearly caused the couple to separate. But when Huang sunk to his lowest point in debt and depression, he received a Bible from Bible a Month partners just like you. The Lord changed his life completely. Inspired by God's word, Huang prayed for his family's reconciliation. After three days of praying with his new Bible, Huang's wife returned to him and the couple made up and they went back to each other. After so much stress and misfortune, Huang was finally hopeful for the future, and he said, the word of God has changed my life totally. Huang also said, if God had not helped us, then I and my wife would have been walking our separate ways, leaving the negative impacts on the lives of our two children. But now, our family is complete and happy. Thank God for his word. Amen. That's preaching the word, folks. We may not be able to go over to seas and do things like that, but we can give. That's part of who we are as the church in America. We have been blessed by excessive amounts of money, and we need to give it away. Make that something that you want to do in your life. Give it away. Preach the word, because everything that those people do is on our account. Amen? Bo and Mim, everything they do, that's our account. It, it says, you did it. You preached the word. Whatever it is, we can preach the word. God uses the word of God to meet us right where we are, right when we need him. Amen? The word of God is important. The second imperative in verse 2 says, uh, to be ready. In season and out of season, when it's convenient and when it's not. 
And there's a sense of urgency, uh, preparedness, and readiness in this command. You know, when it is in season, is it hard to do that? No, it's not hard. It's when it's out of season, when you don't feel like it, when you don't really feel like doing something. That is the time that may be the most effective and necessary, a divine appointment, if you will, when, it's not, when you're not in season. Um, never lose patience with people. Paul appeals to our reason, our conscience, and our will. But how can we be ready in season and out? My accountability partner and, my, and I uh, have been going through a book called Every Man's Marriage this last year. And in it, as husbands, we are taught to love and cherish our wives. Amen? And to lay down our lives for them. In fact, this book says we need to become bond servants. We need to, to put ourselves at their disposal. We need to love them that much. And um, I don't know if you know what a bond servant is, but that's a slave. Okay? So it's pretty heavy, some of the things that we've been talking about. It means to lay down your own selfishness and your own sin and think more importantly of what she needs and what we need to do for her. In season and out of season. When it's easy and when it's hard. And, you know, that's one of the things that I've been in my retirement the last three years uh, Mary Beth has lupus and fibromyalgia and bad knees and bad back. and She's got a lot of different issues that I am pleased to be able to be a part of, to be a caregiver. Amen. That's part of who I am in this part of my life. And, and <laughs> Thank you. But you know, sometimes it can be difficult. Amen? 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 If you've been in that situation, you know it's not always easy. I just called my sister yesterday, and her husband has been going through cancer and all this kind of stuff, and we just shared over the phone about how difficult it is to be a caregiver. She just came back from a caregiver's retreat where she was lifted up and, and given some tools to be able to, to, to make it through. But that's when it's out of season, that's when God can do things through us. When God, with God's help, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Sound familiar? Amen. We can do all things through Christ who, who strengthens us. These are parts of God's divine appointments to us to love people and to change the world. Well, back to the text. It says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. And those, those first three commands, those imperatives go well together. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. The first thing is that we need to reprove, and that means we need to refute or correct error with careful biblical argument to be able to understand what the Bible says about that. And so when we see error, we need to be able to refute it. We need to be able to, to say, no, the Bible says this about that. 
And this refuting or reproving is disclosing the sinfulness of sin to the sinner. The second word to rebuke or bring the sinner to repentance. That's the hard part. Confronting somebody in their sin. Confronting somebody and with the word of God saying, this is wrong. You need to change. You need to do it different. It discloses the sinfulness of the sinner and it brings them to repentance. We can't do it on our own. Amen? The Holy Spirit has to lead us as we rebuke people. Just don't go around rebuking everybody, but... Let let the Holy Spirit lead you in that rebuke. Amen? Because I've I've done it the other way, so don't do that. And then the third thing is that we are to exhort. And that word there for exhort means to encourage or actually to come alongside the sinner. And that's important. After having reproved and rebuked the disobedient believer under his care, the faithful preacher of the word comes alongside them in love to encourage them in their spiritual change. We need to get down in with people and help them through that change. Don't just assume that they're going to be able to do it on their own, but we need to get our hands dirty and do some work. Uh, You know, how do you do that? <laughs> well, I think the best example I know of, of uh, you know, reproving and rebuking and exhorting is raising children. Amen? Moms and dads, are you with me there? Boy, that is a constant repro- reprove, rebuke, and encourage. Come alongside them. I think my daughter and her husband... They are wonderful. They've got four kids, and uh, they, they, they have reproved, rebuked, and encouraged them all, all kinds of different ways. And you know for yourself, too, if you've got kids, that's what's been part of your process. You've got to go through it, because if you want them to become the best that they can be, they've got to have that, and they've got to have it in love from you, their parent. So that's one of the things that the ways that we can be um, following those three commands. And finally, we're told to do this with great patience. We're called to bear one another's burdens, to come alongside those who are struggling, especially with members of the flock who are persistently stubborn. (laughs) We do this by careful instruction, day by day, teaching the word. And how do you do that? How do you do careful instruction? Well, <laughs> you got to be in the Word, right? How do you do it? For the last 50 years, I've been reading Our Daily Bread every day. Now, granted, there's been some times I've missed, but every day I try to make that my first thing that I do every morning. I sit down and I start my day in the Word. Whatever plan you use, whatever way you do it, you need to do it. You need to be in the Word of God every day. You need to be filling your life with the Word of God. It's got to be there. So 
That's one way. The second way, in Colossians 3.16, it says it this way. Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you with all wisdom and teach with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another how with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with thankfulness to your hearts to God I love the song we sang this morning that that's that's what it's all about singing to the Lord singing praises wonderful worship time we need to spend time worshiping the Lord we need to, to listen. We, we turn on the radio when we're in the car with a cr- cr- Christian music. We have Alexa play our uh, you know, contemporary Christian music station all day long. And then we spend time just worshiping the Lord. Like this morning. Amen? That's, that's, that's having the word, careful instruction. Uh, I was a preschool teacher for 26 years and and one of the best tools a preschool teacher uses to teach the truth is music. Do y'all know the ABC song? We all do, right? That's why you learned how to read. You learned how to read because somebody taught you the ABC song. Music is a powerful, powerful tool. Have you ever seen Veggie Tales? <laughs> Too much. But you hear it and you remember it because it's music. And mu- music has the power to teach biblical truth. We had a 50th anniversary celebration with our uh, in law, Dell and Betty, and one of Dell's daughters came up and and said some things. She remembered hearing a song about Jesus' love is a-bubbling over. Jesus' love. That's an old song. But she remembered it after 50 years and she remembered that Mary Beth had played it for her when she babysat her 50 years before. And she said, that always stuck with me. We learn the word of God through music. Spend time every day singing to the Lord, listening to the Lord. Amen? Amen. All right, let's get back to the text now. The second thing that he says is that the time will come. There's an apostasy coming. And he, he, he says in verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. You know, there's an apostasy coming. It may already be here. (laughs) The time will come. At the end times, people are going to turn away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And the Greek word for turn aside there, it has a medical meaning too that means a dislocated joint. A dislocated joint. The minds of those who reject God's truth become spiritually dislocated. Deliberate rejection of God's truth makes a person vulnerable to Satan's myths. They attempt to determine their own truth instead of searching the scripture for the truth. 
They only want to feel good. They don't want to be made good. The depravity of man, it comes out in everything, not just the secular world, but even within the church. We need to be aware of that. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5, he talks about the coming apostasy again. He says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, but denied, but they have, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. You know, they're going to hold to a form of godliness and yet deny its power. Even within the church, we're seeing those kinds of things. And so we need to be aware. It goes back to knowing the word of God. You need to be able to refute error. You need to be able to know why you believe what you believe. You need to know what's true. You need to know what's important. And you can only do that by knowing the word of God. So we need to watch out. Amen? You know, last week, Doug was telling us all about Satan, right? How Satan is out there seeking to devour us. Well, that's part of the way that he's doing it. He, he's, he's, but I like the fact that at the end, he says, we can stand firm. Amen? That's what the whole series was about. Stand firm in the word of God. That's what we need to do. So even though the the apostasy is coming, we can still stand firm. Amen? Amen. Okay. One more point. Verse 5. It says, But you, but you, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. He says to be sober in all things, especially in hardship. And that word for sober means to be level-headed, well-balanced, in control, being stable, unwavering, and steadfast, enduring hardship. And earlier in the book, in 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 7, it says this, suffer hardship with me. Oh, great. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything." There are three analogies that Paul uses that talks about enduring that hardship, being sober in the midst of that. The soldier, you know, the soldier has on what? The full armor of God, amen? Well, I preached about that one. The full armor of God, you need to have that on all the time so that you can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. 
And the soldier has spiritual weapons at his disposal. So do we. A soldier is a soldier 24 hours a day, not just nine to five, 40 hours a week. Amen? He does not entangle himself with the affairs of everyday life. He desires to please his commander. Who's his commander in chief? Jesus. Jesus. And he looks forward to hearing these words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. A soldier is sober, able to endure hardship. The athlete carries the the idea of a struggle that requires great determination to win. Our competition is against our old fleshly selves, against the world, and against Satan and those who serve him. In our Daily Bread last week, I read a story of a college swimmer who asked, will I make the Olympics? She worried her speed was too slow. But when math professor Ken Otto studied her swim techniques, he saw how to improve her time by six full seconds, a substantial difference at her level of competition. Attaching sensors to the swimmer's back, he didn't identify major changes to improve her time. Instead, Ono identified tiny corrective actions that if applied, could make the swimmer more efficient in the water, making the winning difference. Small corrective actions in spiritual matters can make a difference for us too. Amen? And as you consider the small changes you need to make in your spiritual life, ask the Holy Spirit to help you see them and to make the changes. Be willing to increase your effectiveness by making small changes. If if you don't read the Word, start reading one one scripture. If, if you don't, whatever you're not doing, don't try and do it all at once, amen? We, we've all done that with New Year's resolutions. We need to do small things, workable things, and that will make a difference in our spiritual life. And another thing about athletes, they, they, they compete according to the rules, um, yeah, we'll skip that. The farmer. <laughs> the farmer. He's hardworking. He toils intensely. If you've ever been a farmer, you know that's true. Sun up to sun down. They're always at work. And their work is tedious, humdrum, and unexciting. And most of the time, he's all by himself. Right? But it says he deserves He's entitled to the first share from his crop. A soldier focuses on the fight, not daily affairs. An athlete does everything to improve and follows the rules of the game so that he might win the prize. And a farmer receives benefit from his backbreaking labor. Paul says, meditate on these things and the Lord will give you understanding so that you may be sober in all things, enduring hardships. And don't be afraid of the suffering for the Lord. Paul tells Timothy to endure hardships as he himself has endured. How can you endure hardships? My 21st century problems pale compared to what Horatio Spafford, a Chicago lawyer and real estate investor, faced. He was the father of five, and in 1871, his young son died, his only son. 
That same year, much of his business was destroyed in the great Chicago fire. Back on his feet just two years later, the family set sail for a European vacation, but business demands kept Spafford at home. Days later, he received a telegram from his wife, saved alone, what shall I do? A shipwreck had claimed the lives of 226 of the 313 passengers, including all four of his daughters. He boarded an ocean liner right away. And when the, during the voyage, the captain showed him the space, the place where the other vessel had sunk. And there on the ship, Spafford penned these lyrics. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. His strong faith told him that his daughters were not in that watery grave, but they were in heaven with the Lord. Amen? To have an eternal perspective like Horatio Spafford, that's what helps us. The hope of heaven helps me reconcile God's sovereignty with worldly suffering. Thanks to this hymn, I'm inspired to lean closer to God, to trust Him, and to claim the peace that it is well with my soul, no matter the hardships that I endure. C.H. Spurgeon said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Just finished a book by Amanda Dykes in which she wrote this. This is my prayer, that in the midst of any caverns of grief, chasms of tribulation, anything that has marked or cracked your life, The God who plunges right into your turmoil with you will wrap those shards up and do his work. James 1, 2, and 4 says, Count it all joy when we endure hardships because we know that God is working in them to perfect our lives so that we lack nothing. Amen? Finally, Paul commends Timothy to do the work of an evangelist and to fulfill your ministry. Work at bringing others to Christ. Whatever God has called you to do, give it full measure and bring it to completion with eagerness and wholeheartedness. Amen? Fulfill your ministry. In conclusion, we're living in the last days. We must fulfill our purpose and plan that God has for us. At the very end of this section, verse 8, Paul clings to the hope of resurrection that we all share to be finally united with Jesus for all eternity in heaven. One day we will be with the Lord forever. All the suffering, sorrows, losses, disappointments, and failures of this world will fade away in the light of His glorious presence. We are not made for this world. Amen? We are citizens of heaven, awaiting Jesus' return to take us to be with him forever. And until then, these are the words I would say. We are admonished to preach the word in season and out, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and careful instruction. Be sober in all things, endure hardships, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry.
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to do what needs to be done, Lord, to fulfill our ministry, to be the people that you have called us to be, to fulfill uh, love God, love people, and change the world, Lord. Help us to do that, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Get the word into us, Father. Allow your Holy Spirit to show us where we need to change. And Lord, change us. Make us more like you. Now, glory be to God by his mighty power at work within us. He is able to accomplish infinitely more than we would ever dare to ask or even hope. May he be given glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever through endless ages. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.